Welcome to the Embracing Brokenness podcast, where our goal is to engage with all of those willing to venture deeper into their transformational journey with Christ. Here's your host and co-founder of Embracing Brokenness Ministries, Steve Adams. Well, here we are, folks. We just crossed that threshold of Christmas and have found ourselves in 2024. Can you believe it? January 1st, in fact. Happy New Year. As I sit here with you, I'm very grateful for all that God has done, not only in my own life, but through our ministry at Embracing Brokenness. And we have much more to explore and contribute to those who are tracking with us in this coming year. If you missed the last podcast where Katie joined us, go back, check it out. We talk about some of the plans and goals we have for 2024. Today, though, with special permission from Elisa and Mike Childers, we have a podcast for you that Lisa did recently with Johnny Erickson Tata. For those who aren't familiar with Johnny, I encourage you to listen and be blessed by her story. A swimming accident left her quadriplegic at a very young age. It was devastating, as you can imagine. Johnny shared the emotional and physical pain of that injury, but brings a whole new dimension to the idea of trusting God for all that has happened and the reasons behind it. Her recent book, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus, was released a few months ago. It's a devotional with parallels to Brother Lawrence's writings from centuries ago. It's powerful, and I encourage you to pick it up. I'll just put a link, actually, in the show notes for you. So, without further ado, here's Elisa Childers and Johnny Erickson Tata. Welcome to the Elisa Childers podcast, where we equip Christians to identify the core beliefs of historic Christianity, discern its counterfeits, and proclaim the gospel with clarity, kindness, and truth. And if you can see that I'm a little bit emotional right now, it's because I've just gotten off a call with Johnny Erickson Tata, and I'm going to bring you this conversation um, that touched my heart, and it went so deep, and um, it's just, I'm just kind of beside myself right now. It was just a really, really awesome conversation. But because of her health issues, she only could allow for 30 minutes. So we're just going to get right into it. Here's Johnny Erickson Tada. Johnny Erickson Tada, what an absolute joy and honor to have you on the podcast today. I, I want to say something to you that I know probably a lot of people say similar things, but I have a podcast so I can say it publicly. And I just want to tell you, and I hope this encourages your heart, that you have been such an inspiration, beyond an inspiration to me. I really think your life, your faithfulness to Jesus, your example, was not just inspiring, but formative for my view of Christ. I knew I was going to cry. My view of suffering and um, got me through intellectual obstacles even as an adult later because I knew that there were people like Elizabeth Elliot and Johnny Erickson Tata and Corey Ten Boom who suffered greatly and knew the depth and the richness and beauty of Christ. So thank you for coming on today. Oh, Elisa, I, I, I pray I can live up uh, <laughs> to your words and your assessment of my Christian character and witness. I'm, I'm, you humble me deeply and honor me. So yes, I'm glad to be on. And of course, I, I want to greet your followers and say that I, I, I trust that our 30 minutes together will be an encouragement to those listening. Well, I hope so too. And, and you know, I appreciate you saying that. I knew you would respond with humility. And with that said, 
obviously, you know, we don't want to put leaders on a pedestal and assume that they're handling everything perfectly. But the, the passage that comes to my mind when I think about you is Hebrews 13, 7, which says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so uh, you, you have just been such an example, I think, to so many with how honest you've been about wrestling with uh, the things that you have in your life. Now, of course, people of my generation probably are really familiar with your story. Of course, I remember reading your autobiography as a young teenage girl and, of course, seeing the movie. But I, I realize there could be a whole generation of people listening that don't know your story. Would you just give us a little thumbnail sketch of, of that story for us? Well, Elisa, as you know, um, what it was 56 years ago uh, when I was a teenager, and I was heading off to college. I had just recently graduated from high school and went to the Chesapeake Bay uh, for a swim with my sister and uh, dove off this raft. I took a really reckless dive. And immediately when I um, broke the water, I realized my um, I could not pull out of my dive quickly enough. And I hit, my head hit the sandy bottom and uh, that snapped my head back, crunching my fourth and fifth cervical vertebrae, which has left me a, a, a quadriplegic without use of my, my hands or my legs. I've got pretty good shoulder muscles, but no use of my hands or my legs. I live in a wheelchair and have done so for 56 years as a quadriplegic. And uh, just so that your listeners uh, understand, they may hear a smile in my voice now. But when I was 17, I had no idea how to smile. I had no idea how to live a life sitting down uh, without use of my hands or legs. So I plummeted into depression, but it was caring Christian friends who um, prayed for me, rallied around me, kept me connected to reality, uh, kept me from drifting off into social isolation, who spiritually helped answer my questions. Uh, from God's word, and boy, they made the difference. So mm. now I can smile, and it's from the heart. Yes. And you've even shared that there have been times throughout your life over these past 50 or so years where you have really struggled against depression. And I want to talk through some of that, but I'd also love to just talk about in your story, I've, I've heard you talk about this where you received the news, and when you realized the reality of the situation, uh, fighting that depression, and I've seen this in so many people's lives where they'll go through a bout of suffering, maybe an unexpected diagnosis, maybe the death of a loved one that was very sudden, they weren't expecting it, whatever it might be. And what you see often happen is people will either go really into God with everything they have, or they'll walk away. And you hear a lot of skeptics say things like, how could God allow evil? If, if he does, he must not be good. Or if he's good, he's just not powerful enough to stop it. And I know in your story, you asked a similar question why would God allow this to happen? So how does Johnny Erickson Tata think about that question? Why does a good God allow evil and suffering in our lives? Well, first, let me back up and say that God owes this utterly rebellious planet mm. absolutely nothing. I mean, we were the ones who broke the contract back in the Garden of Eden. We're mm. the ones who wandered off. We're the ones who were rebellious. Um, and if we were honest and examined our hearts, we would realize that we are still as rebellious as our original parents back in the Garden of Eden. So 
Um, it is our pride, our stiff-necked, stubborn, rebellious pride that uh, that has created all this woe and sorrow and war and destruction and evil and wickedness in this world. Uh, but God is merciful, isn't he? Mm. He is merciful, and he did not leave us abandoned, but provided a way through Jesus Christ, obviously. But to answer your question, um, Elisa, um, I'm convinced that with the mess that we had left this world, God still intervened, and he permits what he hates, because he hates suffering. He hates uh, the pain and affliction. God permits what he hates to accomplish something that he loves. And uh, for me, it has been uh, a lifetime journey of understanding how it is that God would permit what he hates and what is it that he loves so much that is worth, you know, reaching down into our otherwise broken, uh, broken world and pulling out of it uh, good for us and glory for himself. So yes, I, th I think for me, the best answer is God permits what he hates. He's not excited about suffering. He hates evil, obviously, but he permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. May I share something to help illustrate this? Yes, please. When I, when I was told this in the beginning, uh, when I was asking the very questions that you're posing to me, I, I said, well, how can it be God's will that I suffer like this? And my friend said, well, Johnny, let's think about Jesus Christ. Look at all the evil and suffering surrounding his life. I mean, there he was at the end of his ministry. Um, he was uh, betrayed by one of his friends in his inner circle. He was handed over to Pontius Pilate, who handed down mock justice in order to gain political popularity. And then uh, Roman soldiers who were probably drunk uh, spit on him and abused him. Uh, then the mob in the streets is screaming for his crucifixion, and he's ripped to shreds in a flogging and then impaled on a on a horrible crossbar made of wood. I, it, how can any of that be God's will? Torture, murder, treason, injustice. Yet God aborted um, these awful things to serve his own ends and accomplish his own purposes. And if indeed the devil did inspire such terrible tragedy, uh, he slit his own throat because the world's worst murder then becomes the world's only salvation. And my friend said, Johnny, it's very much like you. Um, God permitted what he hated, your, your spinal cord injury, just like he permitted those awful events on the leading up to the cross of Christ. But he permitted it in order to accomplish something good. He's turning you from a headstrong, stubborn, rebellious teenager into a young woman who's gonna understand something of perseverance, something of endurance, who is going to allow her character to be refined, who is going to gain a deeper love for prayer and his word, who is gonna set her heart and hopes on heaven. I mean, he went on and on, just envisioning for me things that at that point, I could not envision for myself. Mm. But at least those 10 words had, had, had hooked me. He, God permits what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. And now I understand what it is that he loves in my life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And my suffering, uh, Elisa, 
has um, given me such a deeper, sweeter intimacy, a nearness, and a and a joy in Jesus Christ. And I, 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 I never would have dreamed possible when I first broke my neck. Mm. So that's yeah. as best as I can share a good answer to that tough question. That's that's a great answer. And, you know, it's really interesting because with the type of ministry that you do, of course, you have Johnny and Friends uh, uh, that does so much great ministry all over the world. And then you speak on suffering and you speak on all of these these things. Um, and, you know, in the realm of ministry I do, it's apologetics. We're dealing with skeptical claims brought up against historic Christianity. But there's a real crossover in the theme of gratefulness because I've often said that so much of the skeptical claims that are brought up against Christianity meant to disprove it really just bottom out in a lack of gratefulness. I, I really do believe that. I believe there's so much ungratefulness. Um, you know, atheists breathe in God's air through the lungs that he put in their body to reject him and deny him and try to refute his existence. And you talk a lot about gratefulness. And you, you've made an interesting statement. You said that you cannot make your heart feel grateful. And yet you talk about gratefulness a lot. And I would love if you would share some of your wisdom on the topic of great gratefulness today. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, atheists breathe the air that God creates. And, and it's true. We look at our windows and we see sunshine. We see a blue sky, beautiful clouds, green grass, flowers growing, trees. Uh, in bloom, we, we, we see so much beauty around us. Uh, Yosemite National Park, the Grand Canyon. We, we have friendships, we have good food. We have, I mean, there's so much about life for which we can give gratitude. And I, I like to look at gratefulness like this. We, we take those gifts and it, it's like, um, uh, okay, here's, here's a good analogy. Suppose somebody comes to your front door and you open it and he says, Ma'am, I have for you here a $100 bill. And I'm just doing this out of the goodness of my heart. I just feel like you need it. And so it's a gift. And you go, whoa, what? Oh, my goodness, this is incredible. Well, thank you. And then, much to your surprise, he returns the next day. And you are just as flabbergasted. In fact, he does this all week. And at the end of the week, you are astounded. And then another week and another and another, this man continually comes up to your front door. And before no, you know it, you're, you're putting notes on your front door saying, oh, just leave my, just leave my $100 bills in, in the mailbox. <laughs> I'm, I'm busy right now. Or, you know, and then one day it stops. And you look down the street and you see the same man going up to the door of another neighbor, knocking on that door and giving that person $100 bills. And right away you're thinking, wait a minute, Where, where's my $100? I mean, I deserve that. I mean, I'm expecting it. Well, why would he turn against me? That, that we, we so quickly turn inward and our gratitude quickly erodes when we take God's gifts for granted. And I think that's such a great illustration of how our human nature tends to take a good thing and we corrode it. Mm. If we do not have a spirit of gratitude, everything is a gift. Mm. Um, every gift that we enjoy comes down from the Father of lights. They are good and perfect gifts. And I, I think what helps in a spirit of gratitude is to 
make it a habit of counting your blessings every single day. God, I thank you for this green grass, this beautiful vista, these lovely trees, the rose bushes, the, the flowers in my potted, uh, you know, potted flowers here in the backyard. We, we just need to make a habit of giving thanks. And once we start that habit, then we uh, will find our heart is in tune with, with uh, God's idea of gratitude. I have found that gotten, has gotten me through many a sleepless night. If I wake up in the middle of the night and my mind is worrying about different things, maybe it's my kids or what's going on with ministry or life, and I just begin to focus my mind on just all of the things that I'm grateful for, and that list is absolutely endless no matter who we are, what our life situation is. It's an endless list available to be grateful and thankful for, and uh, so I appreciate that word. I'd love real to. Quick, real, yes. real quickly, Elisa, let me say one more point about that. When I was first injured, I could not be grateful, not at all. I mean, who in the world could be grateful sitting in a wheelchair? But uh, my uh, my friends said, "Well, here it says in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse eight, verse five eighteen, in everything give thanks." Mm -hmm. And I said, "Well, I can't do that. Everything is just too big. Paralysis. That's just too much to handle." And they gave me wise advice then take life in small, bite-sized, manageable chunks and, and give thanks for those things you can give thanks for. Like, um, you know, you're sitting up in a wheelchair now. That's a lot better than laying in bed for months. And uh, you've got your eyesight. You can breathe. Um, you're not brain injured. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things you yeah. could give thanks for, Johnny. So I decided to take them up on the challenge. And as I began the obedience of mouthing, thanks because I didn't feel thankful. Um, a miracle happened a couple of months later. I began to have the emotion mm. of thankfulness. I think that was a gift from God yeah. for me having obeyed First uh, Thessalonians 5.18, just in everything, yeah. small and great things, give thanks. Very good. Love that. You um, wrote the foreword to the two-volume biography of the life of Elizabeth Elliot written by Ellen Vaughn. In fact, Ellen Vaughn was on the podcast last week to talk about this, this latest installment. And I pulled something out of that first volume forward that you wrote, because I think it's one of the most beautiful things anyone's written about suffering. And I want to bring this into the context of physical pain, because I know you've said that I've heard you say that, you know, you can handle quadriplegia. The, it's the physical pain that is probably maybe the hardest. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think it was St. Augustine who said this, and I couldn't find the quote, so I'm not totally sure, but I'm pretty sure that he said something along the lines of physical pain is the worst of all the evils. And uh, the, the, the way we think about, you know, you, you not only deal with uh, the paralysis, but you have dealt with chronic pain. And, and I want to read what you wrote here and then throw it back over to you to talk about what that added layer of suffering has meant in your life and meant to your relationship with Christ. But you wrote this about, this was about you meeting Elizabeth. And you said, we were simply followers of Christ who had plumbed the depths of his joy by tasting his afflictions. Those afflictions had cut deep gashes in our hearts through which grace and joy had poured in, stretching and filling our souls with an abundance of our Lord. So what has the, the addition of the physical pain meant to your relationship with Christ? Uh, 
you're right. Um, I deal with chronic pain. In fact, I'm in pain right now. And uh, I, I wish I had an easy answer. Um, I'm, I'm, um, hold on one second. Mm -hmm. I just get my breath. It's not an easy subject to talk about. Um, I struggle with pain and at times it is so, uh, overbearing that I can hardly put two words together in a, in a clear sentence. And um, for me, I, I realize that God shares his joy on his own terms. Mm -hmm. And those terms call to us for in some measure suffer as his own suffer son suffered. And uh, in a strange way, I welcome the dark difficult guest of pain in my life. Um, I welcome it because I know it is the gash through which more grace will pour uh, into my life. And I have counted that grace and that nearness and sweetness to Jesus Christ as worth uh, the pain. And that's a hard thing to say when I feel like screaming, but um, I believe it to this day. And sometimes I lie on my bed, lay on my bed at night, and I am so happy in Christ, despite the pain that I am crying, but I'm so happy because mm. he's really worth it. And I don't know that I can convince people of it, except that um, it, it, they just have to take me as saying the truth that it's um, that I'm. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of stepping out. It's a matter of God. I'm entering this horrible pain in the middle of the night. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be fearful. I'm going to walk into the middle of my pain. You know, gaze at its stern countenance, and I'm going to move forward into it as though I were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego heading into the fiery furnace. And I'm going to find you there, Jesus. In the middle of the flames, I'm going to find you. And you will, I know you will meet me. And you will have transformed that place of pain into a, a home, a house of, of, of resurrection hope. Mm. You have gone before me and already changed it. And when I meet him there in that capacity, when I take him at his word, when I believe that though I am hard pressed on all sides, I will not be crushed, that this is the God that I love. It's so sweet. It's just so very sweet. And um, forgive my long answer to your compact question, but it's a, it's a moment by moment agony and yes, a trusting of him um, in which I find a deeper, uh, more sweeter intimacy with him than mm. if I weren't in pain. And he's worth it. Mm. He's ecstasy beyond compare and he's worth it.
forgive me. And I, I'm sorry for our listeners that they had to have to listen to me uh, get raw. Well, I appreciate your humility, but I'm I'm pretty sure that all the people who just heard that have been deeply touched by that answer, as as I am. It, it it transcends logic, doesn't it? It's not something you can explain in a proposition. This is something that is lived out relationally. And those who know, those who have tasted even a little bit of what you're talking about, they know what you're talking about. Yeah. And this is the difference, yeah. I think, between and you know checking some intellectual boxes of belief and truly trusting in Christ yeah. as your Lord and Savior, trusting that he is good, that he is true, that he is sovereign, that he's working all things together for good, even though it doesn't make sense. And, and you know, we don't, we're not convinced of that unless we, by faith, move into it, take mm-hmm. scriptures as they are, believe that, believe with, okay, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, that we are hard-pressed on all sides, we're not crushed. We've got to believe that and move into it yeah. and expect that as you do, God will enable, empower, give grace, um, provide peace, but he only does it as we move into that uh, scripture, into that belief with faith and act on it. Yeah. You mentioned the Second Corinthians passage. Are there other, maybe some notable passages of scripture that have encouraged you throughout the years, maybe ones that you continually return to? Oh, yes, yes. I love Isaiah 43, which says that though we, when you go through deep waters, they will uh, not overwhelm you. I will be with you when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. And then Isaiah 46, I love this one where Jesus says, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he who has created you. I'll sustain you. I've made you. I will carry you. I will rescue you. Those are such good passages to remember. And um, oh my goodness, he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. You know, real quickly, I was, uh, I'm just reciting promises here, but they're so precious to me. I was, I was um, up at a cabin, a mountain cabin with a friend, and we had a, a, a monitor in between our bedrooms, and she was uh, in her bedroom with closed door. I was in my bedroom, um, and we tested the monitor, and it was working. In case I needed her during the night, I could call out for her, and she could come to reposition me. Well, I woke up in the morning about 1, one o'clock in the morning. I was in excruciating pain. This neuropathic pain I deal with is like fire. It's just like stabbing knives. And I, I called her and there was no answer. I called her again, still no answer. And I'm screaming at one point, uh, can you hear me? And she must have been dead asleep or had knocked the monitor off the mattress, whatever. And I was starting to panic because I'm thinking, I have to lay like this until eight o'clock in the morning. I won't be able to make it. And so I, I remember that God would not leave me. He will not forsake me. Uh, Joshua 1, 9, um, be strong and of good courage. And, and, and so I decided to recite out loud, screaming every single Bible promise I could think of. Wow. You, God, are my ever-present help in this trouble. I mean, I'm screaming these promises out. And as I'm doing it, I'm gaining strength wow. and i it, it was the most amazing thing i'm not going to panic i'm just going to recite scream them if i must these promises from god's word 
trusting that either she's going to wake up or he'll give me grace until eight o'clock in the morning. Well, thankfully, after about 30 minutes of me yelling my lungs out, uh, she woke up, came bursting into the room. And the test of God's presence in that moment was that I didn't say, what happened to you? What, what did you forget me? What, what did you do? How could you help? You know, I, I didn't bark at her, mm-hmm. yell at her. I just, thank you. Oh, I'm so yeah. glad. Isn't God good? Wow. I was exhausted by that point. But I knew that it was God with me in those promises by my reaction to her. Had I barked at her, gotten resentful or angry, would it, it would have totally nullified everything mm-hmm. I had just done for the pe- previous 30 minutes. Wow. So that, that's how sweet and near and precious God's promises can be to the sufferer. Yeah. I've also heard you say hymns play a huge role in you staying close to Jesus and reminding yourselves of, of those truths. Talk about the role of hymns in your life. Well, I said a moment ago, Elisa, that um, sometimes I'm in such pain I can't put two words together in a prayer. But when you memorize hymns, you don't even have to think. Mm. They just roll out of your heart, off of your tongue. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. I mean, at night, often when I can't sleep because of pain, I'll just start reciting hymns that, to me, just make up the foundation of my love for the Lord Jesus, along with scripture. Um, Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side, which flows, be for me the double cure. Safe from wrath and make me pure. I mean, I, uh, these are doctrinal truths that I am reciting without even thinking. And yet, as I hear myself listen to these words come out of my mouth, they're so invigorating to my heart because they're, they're true. You know, there's a great rich doctrine in these old wonderful hymns. Yeah. And so I kind of shore up my spirit in advance of terrible pain by memorizing as many hymns as I can so that I'll have a storehouse, a reservoir, as it were, a wellspring of a biblical truth yeah. that um, will just tumble off my tongue. Well, praise God. Well, we have a couple minutes left here, and I'd love to mention your new book that I was sent a, a copy, and I haven't had a chance to dig into this yet, but I really look forward to it. It's called The Practice of the Presence of Jesus, Daily Meditations on the Nearness of Our Savior. And uh, with just the couple minutes we have left here, would you tell us about this book and about the inspiration for this book that, that caused you to go ahead and write? This is daily, daily devotionals that people can read and be encouraged by. Well, um, the practice of the presence of Jesus is exactly what I've just been talking about. You know, taking those promises, um, you know, making them yours in the middle of pain, walking into a fiery affliction. I mean, it's, it's, it's that constant right now, this moment awareness of what God is doing in your life. And so just to explain the title, that's, that's what it's all about. And um, I just wanted to write Uh, insights that would inspire the reader to do the same, to not shelve God uh, after your quiet time 
and then rush out the front door on automatic mm-hmm. cruise control. But no, to to encounter Christ moment by moment in your in your daily walk. So that's what the book does. That's what it's all about. The inspiration for this book was uh, Brother Lawrence, a Carmelite monk from the 1600s, whose job it was in the monastery to scrub the latrines and scrub the monastic floors and the and the kitchen floors and the pots and the pans and and yet he took great joy in finding the presence of God with him in those everyday menial and uh, very unpleasant tasks and I read that book when I was in high school and it had so ministered to me it, it really encouraged my heart I had shelved it the book uh, then during the season of COVID um, I was rereading some things from my shelf and and found it and went, my goodness, look at what Brother Lawrence is still teaching me. Mm. And so he inspired me to uh, do this book, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus, and uh, get into some of that rich doctrine that, about our Lord and the Savior that we were just talking about. Oh, great. Well, where can people connect with you and purchase your books and connect with your ministry? Well, people can reach out to me at johnnyandfriends.org. Uh, J-O-N-I-A-N-D-F-R-I-E-N-D-S, johnnyandfriends.org, and they will learn there um, what I'm doing to help other people who suffer. God has blessed me so much, I've just got to keep passing on the blessing. And so you'll learn about our wheelchair outreach around the world and our retreats for families struggling with disability here in the States and in developing nations. And you can also purchase a copy of this book, The Practice of the Presence of Jesus. So I um, hope that our friends, when they do visit our website, will drop me a, a note of encouragement and, and perhaps let me know um, how they were blessed by our conversation today. Well, I was certainly blessed. And so I just want to thank you again for taking the time, even in pain and with all that you're dealing with, to come on. And I know this will be such a blessing to so many people. So thanks again. means a lot. Thank you, Lisa. Well, I want to thank my guest, Johnny Erickson Tata. What an absolutely deep and wonderful conversation. Um, I'm touched. My heart is very much touched, and I hope yours is as well. And I hope that that conversation encourages you to cling to Jesus no matter what is going on in your life. This was another episode of the Embracing Brokenness podcast. For more information on Embracing Brokenness Ministries or to subscribe to our blog, podcast, YouTube channel, or engage with us on social media, please visit our website at embracingbrokenness.org. Thanks for joining us.